Amen. All right. I want you to notice here in Proverbs chapter 6, um, in verse 24, it starts talking about how the commandments there to protect you, to keep you from the strange woman. He goes and he talks about the strange woman. He's warning him about lusting after her, getting caught up in that because uh, the dangers of adultery, fornication, they are very uh, detrimental. They are a very bad thing. But then I want you to notice something, though, in verse 29. Look what it says. It says, So he that goeth into his neighbor's wife, Whosoever toucheth her shall not be innocent. Now, that right there is one of the Ten Commandments, correct? Thou shalt not commit adultery. You do that, you're not innocent. And then, right here in verse 30, he says, Men do not despise a thief if he steal to satisfy his soul when he is hungry. Now, notice here, this is also one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not steal. But notice in these two different sins how he has basically has two different attitudes towards the person that does that. The one who commits adultery, I mean, he says a lot of bad things about them, but the one who steals, if it's to satisfy his hunger, he's saying not to despise them. Look at verse 31. Now, does this take away the guilt? Because he says, no, he says, but if he be found, he shall restore sevenfold. He shall give all the substance of his house. So does it look like here he's saying thieves, if they're stealing because they're hungry, should just get away with it? No, he's saying, no, he should restore sevenfold, even if that means it's going to cost him everything he has. Because thou shalt not steal. It's bad. It's always bad for someone to steal, even if they're stealing because they're hungry. But should we hate that person that's stealing because they're hungry? I don't, I don't believe we should. In fact, the Bible tells us not to right here. Now he goes back into adultery in verse 32. He says, but whoso committeth adultery with the woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. A wound and dishonor shall he get, and his reproach shall not be wiped away. For jealousy is the rage of a man, therefore he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will not regard any ransom, neither will he rest content, though thou givest many gifts. So the title of my message today is Having Empathy for Sinners. I believe this is having empathy is how we can distinguish when we should be despising someone versus when we should not be despising someone. We see here... Two sins, both of them violations of the Ten Commandments, yet we're told to you know, look one way on one person who commits adultery and another way on someone who steals. There's a, there, we should respond differently to different things, and I don't believe it should be that difficult to tell when. But see, we live in a world today where people are adding things to the Bible, like hate the sin and love the sinner. And because of that, you know, people are, they've decided that hate just isn't even in the Bible. Or they'll even say things that are accurate, but with ignorance, where they'll say an overwhelming majority of the message of the Bible is one of love. That is true. But if it's an overwhelming majority, then that means there is a minority that says something else, doesn't it? That's just common sense, right? If a majority says to love, then that means there's a minority that says to hate. And there is a minority that says to hate. And yet our world today and liberal preachers, they've decided, well, let's take all the hate out. And only do the love, and it just doesn't even make sense. But that's what they're doing. But because of that, it's like sometimes you've got people on our side, we want to overcompensate, and we want to just, we want to hate everybody. That's not right either. You know, and then you've got these people too, they just want to beat their chest and talk about just how, you know, how holy they are and how much they hate sin, and, you know, they, they just end up hating everybody. And it's like, I. That's not, that's not what we're looking for. That's not what God wants. And so it's how do we know, how can we tell, you know, when we should actually be despising somebody? Because we've got a world today 
that there can be some pervert child molester out there. And everybody's like, oh, man, we just need to pray for him. And, you know, let's bring him into the church. You know, we're a hospital for the sinners. Uh, yeah, but we're not a rehab center for the perverts. You know, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to put kids in danger and let perverts into the church. Oh, well, we need, we need to be more compassionate. I am compassionate. I'm compassionate on the children. I'm compassionate on the innocent victims. You know, and so we do. We live in a very imbalanced world, but often people in trying to balance things, they end up tipping the scale the other way too far. And I don't believe it's really that hard to figure out when we should get all up in arms and ready to throw somebody out of the church and when we should be trying to help people and trying to restore people who are struggling. It really shouldn't be that hard. And I do believe that the key is empathy. And that word empathy, it, it's, it's not a Bible word. But if the definition is the psychological identification with or vicarious experiencing of the feelings, thoughts, or attitudes of another. So, for example, if a thief steals because he's hungry, you know, you and I, we should be able to look at that and say, you know, I could see why a person would be tempted to do that. Do we, do we not get out of line many times when we're hungry? And most of us in here, we've never been real hungry before. We, I mean, now we think we have been, but we've never gone days without eating. You know, we've never, we've never been in a situation where we're like, I might starve to death. Most of us have never been in that situation where we literally were, you know, if, if we didn't get some food in the next, you know, hours or even day, we were going to die. Now, we live like that every day. You know, some of your kids will be acting like that, you know, at some point this afternoon, even though they already ate this morning. Okay? That's just their brain lying to them. That's the flesh lying to them. But the truth is, any of us who have ever actually really been hungry, we could probably understand and relate and say, you know, if I was starving to death, if my family was starving to death, I had no money, I had, you know, and I was desperate, I could see myself going and maybe taking some food to try to feed my, you know, to try to survive or try to feed my family. You know, I don't hate that person that does that. And that's why he's saying here, you know, don't despise that thief. Now, according to the law, if you steal, you ought to restore. That's that's what the Bible says. That that should be done. But at the same time, notice how when he talks about adultery, he's not seeming to have as much mercy here. Now, why is that? Well, when it comes to adultery, adultery is not needed for survival, is it? Nobody has to commit adultery. When, you, when somebody commits adultery, that is them just indulging on the lust of their flesh. That is them being 100% selfish. That is them thinking only about themselves. They're not even thinking about the other person. They are thinking only about themselves. There, no, there is no need. You, will, you can live an entire lifetime of over 100 years never committing adultery, and you'll be just fine. In fact, you'll be better off. So don't try to compare the two and say, well, they're both Ten Commandments. No, I, we all should be able to clearly see the difference between someone who commits adultery and someone who steals. We see in the Bible, they had the death penalty for those who committed adultery, but they didn't have that for those who stole. Why is that? Because they're two completely different sins. If you commit adultery, you can't undo that, can you? You can't undo adultery. It, notice what he says here. He says in verse 33, A wound and dishonor shall he get, and his reproach shall not be wiped away. You can't undo that. But if you steal, we can restore what we've stolen, can't we? We can even restore sevenfold, like you said here in Proverbs. We're able to do that. 
You know, if you commit adultery with my wife, that is, there's nothing that can be done to fix that. But if you steal from me and you have to restore sevenfold, I'm okay with that. You know, I'm not going to be real mad at you at that point. Man, they stole 100 bucks from me now. Man, they owe me $700. I'm going to start leaving my wallet laying around if we had those kind of if we had those kind of laws. So do you all see how they are completely different? We should understand just from common sense, even without the Bible, that the way we look at an adulterer and the way we look at a thief who's stealing to satisfy his, you know, his hunger is is a completely different thing. Adultery is not needed to survive, but eating is needed to survive. Adultery can't be undone. A thief can restore what he sold. Adultery comes with a reproach that stealing does not come with. And why is that? Because we all instinctively know the difference between those two things. We all could see ourselves maybe doing, doing something like that if we were desperate and in a difficult enough situation. And so even with stealing, we need to understand there is a difference between stealing for food or stealing someone's big screen TV. Okay? Listen, if some guy comes in your house and he, you know, breaks in and he steals your big screen TV, okay, that guy is a scumbag. Just mark it. You don't need a big screen TV to survive. Well, they don't need a big screen TV. Oh, but you know what? It's theirs. They have one. Okay? Yeah, nobody, nobody needs a big screen TV, but it doesn't matter. It's theirs. It belongs to them. And just because they have something more than you doesn't give you the right to go take from them. You do not need a big screen TV to survive. There's a big difference between even doing that. There is a bit, I believe there's even a difference, too, between maybe some guy who's desperate, who holds up a gas station. And that, folks, you hold up a gas station, that's a very wicked sin. You should get in a lot of trouble for that. But you know what? I don't despise that guy who's maybe desperate. Maybe he's about to lose his home. I mean, you know, he's in, a, he's in a really tough situation versus, let's say, the corporate thief. The guy who's stealing and embezzling millions of dollars so he can have an extra vacation home somewhere. You can't compare those two things. You know, and I, we all could see ourselves being so desperate if we were about to lose everything, where we might go rob somebody that we think deserves it, it would be wrong. Okay? It would be wrong for us to go and to you know break into a bar and steal their cash register. Okay, bars are bad, aren't they? They do bad, but but at the same time, you know, I could see somebody. I, I could see why somebody would do that. I, I can empathize with them. I could relate with that. They're about to lose their home. They were in a desperate situation. I don't hate that person for doing that. But some of these just petty thieves that are out there, they disgust me and they despise me. I mean, they just steal things for the sake of, sake of stealing. They make the world a worse place. They make everything cost more. You know, the, the, they do. People who do this petty theft, it raises prices and everything. That's why they have to have security cameras in stores. That's why they're paying security guards. All that stuff. We pay for all that stuff. You understand that? You know, all the extra cops that we have to have because they're always dealing with these things and filing reports on things because companies have to put in security systems. I mean, it's all of these just pathetic, petty thieves that make the world a worse place. So don't get me wrong. There's some thieves that we should just go ahead and despise. Okay? But not all of them. We ought to be able to tell the difference. We ought to be able to be empathetic, see the you know, situation somebody's in, and understand how we ought to look at that.
And so how do we practice being empathetic towards sinners? Because I believe that there, there is a need for that. I believe if we lose that empathy for sinners, then we're just going to become a bunch of self-righteous, hateful people that are just a miserable bunch to be around. And eventually we're going to get so spiritual and hate people so much, we're all just going to start hating each other. And that's no fun either. And that's definitely not what God wants. So first off, turn over to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. What, what do we have, need to do? How do we practice being empathetic towards sinners? So first off, we, do need, we should try to understand where they are coming from. Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14. Uh, this is such a wonderful passage. It says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Notice how our high priest, Jesus Christ, he knows what it's like to be tempted. He gets that. He was tempted in all points as we are. Now, this doesn't mean Jesus had all the same desires that we do. Y'all realize that every one of us in here, we are all tempted by different things and different sins. But all of our temptations that we face, they all could be categorized in, in different things. All right? We all have the same categories, I guess you could say, of sins. And Jesus Christ, he was, there was things he was tempted with. He wasn't tempted with sin like, you know, like we are, but he still had temptations that he had to deal with. And the willpower, what it took for him to face those temptations is exactly what we need to face whatever it is that we are tempted with. And Jesus knows what it's like when we are tempted. He understands that. He knows where we are coming from because of the fact that he lived on earth as a man. He knows what it's like to be flesh. And so we need to understand, though, that there is a difference between one who knows the truth and one who does not know the truth. Look what it says in uh, Luke chapter 12 and verse 48. Luke chapter 12 and verse 48. I didn't put that one. I didn't put that one in my notes. Knowledge makes the biggest difference right there. That's one of the key things you've got to understand about sin. There's a big difference between someone who knows what's right and someone who does not know what's right. But in Luke 12, 48 says, but he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes for unto whomsoever much is given of him shall much be much required and whom men have committed much of him. They will ask the more. So notice the person who didn't know better, who did something bad, they're going to be punished because it was still wrong, but he says they'll be beaten with few stripes. But those who did know better, those who did have knowledge, hey, I'm just going to let you all know right now, this is you people here. Those of you that go to this church and you hear the truth preached, you know better than most people, so you're going to be dealt with more harshly when you sin versus somebody out there in the world. And I've known people like this. That they get this real self-righteous attitude. I knew a guy one time, he had heard this story about uh, Lee Robertson. And Lee, uh, it, was, it was Pastor Keith Gomez actually took Lee Robertson to, I think it was Bill Hybel's church. This is not far from him. And he went and was like showing him around the place. And they were like doing some concert thing up there. And, and you know, 
Brother Lee Robertson, you know, just an old spiritual man of God, he started looking at what was going on there. He was just like, this, this is wicked. He just started like just getting too mad. Like, this is, this is wicked. And he was like starting to make a scene. And, you know, Pastor Gomez, he had to like drag him, you know, take him out of the place because it was starting to get embarrassing. He was just super upset at what he saw. Well, this guy, he heard that story about Lee Robertson, you know, just calling out the stuff and saying it was wicked. And I remember he started doing this thing. We'd go out visiting and stuff. We'd go out on buses. And we'd be driving down the road. And he would see a lady, you know, wearing short shorts or something, you know, dressed up. And he would just roll down the window and start screaming, you're wicked. <laughs> and, you know, and as a teenager, I remember at first thinking, this is kind of funny. But then at the same time, I'm like, you know, uh, this doesn't really seem right. You know, something's not, something's not right here. And he would do that. He, we'd be driving down the road and he'd see people doing things that, that are wrong, that are wicked. And he'd start screaming that they were wicked. It was, it was a very common thing. That he would do. And I remember even as a teenager, and I finally said something about it one time. I said, you know, you know, these women that are out there, they haven't been shown what the Bible has to say about nakedness and modesty. You know, they didn't grow up in church. They are just products of what the world is. The world has told girls they don't have to wear a lot of clothes. The world, our world today, it just acts like that's normal. And you'll even, I've even seen people too. They just want to run their mouth about some little girl that's out there, you know, dressed in a certain way. They don't know any better. Nobody's ever taught them that their purity is a precious thing to be valued. Nobody's, nobody's taught them that kind of stuff. They're just, they're doing what the world is. And you know, you don't need to go around driving down the road, screaming at everybody that's violating God's laws and telling them they're wicked. So most of them don't know any better. Nobody's ever lovingly approached them and tried to give them the gospel. And no, none of them, and many of them, even if they have been in church before, they've never been in a church like this one that actually you know, took the time to show them what the Bible has to say about these things. They don't know any better. They're, com- they're completely ignorant of these things. And the fact that some people just can't seem to understand. And the thing is, some of the worst people at doing this too are people who came from that life. It's like, hey, that's and such were some of you. You know, you used to be that way. You used to dress that way. Why did you do it back then? Well, I, I didn't know any better. Exactly. You didn't know. No one told you. So now why don't you show some empathy and why don't you try to actually tell people? And let me ask you, when you were lost, would you have listened to the guy give you the gospel that was, you know, driving down the road screaming you're wicked? And the thing is, you scream at some lady today that's wicked, you know, tell her she's wicked because she's wearing a pair of short shorts. She's going to have no idea why you're even saying that. And that's how clueless our world is about modesty. There, you know, she's not going to get that. She's not going to. She's not going to understand a thing that you're saying. So, you know, we ought to be able to relate with people sometimes and say, you know, I get that. I came from that kind of life. This stuff was all a surprise to me when I first heard it. You know, maybe ought to be a little merciful towards other people. Maybe ought to be a little nicer towards people. You know, the first time I ever walked in church, I wasn't dressed the way I should be dressed. You know, I, I didn't just automatically, when I got saved, started doing all the things that Christians are supposed to be doing. So, you know, if, if people would start thinking that way, putting themselves in other people's shoes, I think they would actually know instinctively how to act and how to respond. You know, and there are, I mean, if, if you want to go scream... You know, as some homos, you know, promoting pedophilia or something like that. Go right ahead, all right? But, let, you know, learn. See, but we ought to be, you know, because all of us here, 
You know, that is something that we can't relate with. You know, we can't understand the pedophile. We can't understand the homo, and we don't want to understand them, do we? You know, that's something the Bible clearly calls unnatural affection. It calls it something that's against nature, okay? But, you know, it doesn't say that about things like adultery, because that is a pretty common thing, isn't it? Lust is a very common thing that everyone faces. You know, being desperate, stealing. You know, we, we all should be able to tell the difference, but some people just can't do it. They're just obnoxious morons, and they get on my nerves. And I, I, I don't want that kind of attitude. Uh, being in my life, I don't want us having that kind of attitude in our church. That's not what God wants. It's not profitable. It doesn't help anybody. We've just got to remember to who much is given, much is required. And we have been given a lot. And so because of that, we ought to think about ourselves like, you know, since I'm someone who has been given a great deal, I, I mean, I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up in a fundamental Baptist church. I have been taught the King James Bible since the time I, mean, I was born. You know what that tells me? God expects an awful lot from me. And I also know in the Bible that God judges me based on how I judge other people. So, you know, I cut people a lot of slack. But, you know, I will say, I do know some other preachers, you know, are, that are like me, came from pastors' homes, came from a fundamental Baptist background, came being taught the King James Bible, and now they're pastoring some trendy church, you know, dressing like a queer, talking like queer. I do despise those people. You know why? Because they were given the same thing I was given, and now they're acting like a homo. I don't get that. That doesn't, that doesn't make any sense, but there are some guys out there in skinny jeans that have no idea that you shouldn't dress like a queer. There's a lot, I mean, there's a lot of young people out there. Folks, that's what they're shoving down our throats on television. That's what they're seeing on commercials. That's what they're seeing in the public schools, everywhere they go. I mean, just weird, queer, I mean, whatever. And that's all they know. They have not been taught the truth. So we're going to see some guys out there, they're going to be dressing a little fruity. And we, that doesn't necessarily mean they're a reprobate. We might even have some people come walk in our church that is dressing a little fruity. That doesn't mean that they're a sodomite and mean we ought to just throw them out right away. You know what? Let's try to relate a little bit and say, you know what? If I would have come from that kind of world, I probably would have went along with the styles too. Because some of you in here, you at one time probably wore big baggy pants. Okay? Now, nobody ever accused anybody of being queer for that. But the truth is, why did you wear big baggy pants? Because it was the style, wasn't it? All right. Do we have any people in here that will admit they wore droopy drawers at one time? We have any droopy drawer? You know, nobody wants to. Nobody wants to admit it. Right. Y'all are just a bunch of Pharisees. You know, you never did anything bad. But okay, if you would have, you know, back in the day when you were wearing the baggy pants, if it would have been the skinny jeans, you'd have probably been wearing the skinny jeans too, because you wanted to fit in. You wanted to look cool with everybody else. It didn't mean you're a homo. It didn't mean that you're a reprobate. You were just dead in your trespasses and sins, walking according to the course of this world. And, you know, if you could remember that sometimes, it might cause you to actually have some compassion on people and have a better attitude towards people and not be so down on everybody. You might remember the time when you didn't know everything that there is to know about the Bible. You would, you would have a memory of that, and you would probably be a nice person. But we do see that God was easier on the heathen than he was on Israel because the heathen didn't know any better. 
before the Gospels. But remember what God said in Acts chapter 17, verse 29, where Paul's preaching? And he's talking about the idolatry. He's dealing with idolaters. And he said, at the time of this ignorance, God winked at. But now he commanded all men everywhere to repent. What's going on here? Back before the gospel spread around the world, there was a lot of people, you know, worshiping idols that had never been taught the truth. And God wasn't going around destroying all those places that were just worshiping idols. God didn't do that. You know why? Because God understood these people are ignorant. But when the gospel got to those countries and they had heard the truth, now they were being held accountable. Now God said, now he's commanding all men everywhere to repent. God's not winking at this anymore because now you know the truth. But notice how when, we, when we're reading the Old Testament, God would deal with Israel much harder than he would deal with the heathen for the exact same things. And the answer for that is very simple because under them were committed the oracles of God. It was Israel that God brought out of Egypt. It was Israel that God took through the Red Sea. It was Israel that God fed in the wilderness. It was, it was Israel that God gave the Ten Commandments to. It was Israel that God did miracle after miracle for. It was Israel that God gave a land, chosen land to. It was Israel that received all those things. So when Israel would worship idols, God got way more upset with them than he did with the heathen. And we need to understand that there is a difference. We live in a world, we live in a country that has become extremely heathen. And I believe that God's very upset with us more than many other countries because of the fact that we weren't always like this. And we've got churches everywhere, we've got Bibles everywhere, and yet we're still as pathetic as we are. I believe God was going to deal with us more harshly than some of these other countries that don't have what we have. We've been, we've been given a lot and because of that, God's going to be harder on those who've been given a lot. And we need to remember, many of these people that we see out there, many of these people that, you know, guys are rolling down their windows and screaming that they're wicked to, are people who have been given nothing. And you know whose job it is to be actually be giving them things? It's our job. It's our job to be giving them the gospel. Before you go screaming somebody's wicked, why don't you try to give them the gospel first? And then after they reject you several times, you know, then call them a reprobate. Until then, leave them alone. Until then, try or at least try to make a difference before you know before you're going and screaming at him. So Jesus clearly understood, you know, this truth too when he was hanging on the cross. Remember in uh, Luke chapter 23 and verse 34, those famous words of Jesus. What did he say when he was hanging on the cross? Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Once again, there's that knowledge. Okay, that's what Romans chapter 1 is all about with the reprobates. They knew the truth and rejected it. Many of the people that we're living with, that we live around today, they have never had the truth given to them. They are not reprobates. They, you have to have had the truth and rejected it, and you had to reject it a lot. And until then, they're not reprobate. We've got, under, and we've, got to, we've got to get a hold of that. Jesus understood that. We need to get a hold of, hold of the fact that a holy God cannot understand why we sin, yet Jesus did. Why? Because he came as a man. And notice, while Jesus is hanging on the cross, he is making intercession for the sinners of the earth. And he's, he's letting God know to forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. He was able to do that because he came to earth as man. 
That is why Jesus is our intercessor. That is why he is our advocate. First John 2, 1 says, My little children, these things are right unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Folks, this is why we can't get to God except through Jesus Christ. We can't get to the Father except through Jesus Christ. Why? Because if we go to the Father and we tell him, Well, Lord, you know, I know I've done some bad things, but, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. It's not going to work. God's not going to be able to relate with that, but Jesus Christ can. Jesus Christ can, and he goes and makes intercession to the Father as the sinless Son of God who has paid for our sins. And because of that, we are able to, we're able to pray, we're able to have a relationship, and one of these days we'll even be able to be in the presence of God once we see Jesus Christ and he changes our vile body into one like his. Now why does he have to even do that? Because we can't get in the presence of the Father in this condition. Think think about that. That, That's why God had to come to earth as a man. That is why he sent his son, Jesus Christ. It was absolutely necessary. Romans 8.34 says, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. He's there doing it right now. When we sin, a holy God wants to, and rightfully so, and justly so, eliminate us. But we have an intercessor there before the Father, Jesus Christ, who says, I know what's going on with these people. I understand what they're dealing with. And you know, I paid for their sins. Don't kill them. And you know, if Jesus Christ can do that with us, why is it that we can't relate with sinners out there in the world and make intercession to God for them? Why isn't it that we can't say, hey, Lord, can you give another chance? Lord, will you provide an opportunity for me to give them a clear gospel? Lord, will you help me be a good testimony? Will you help me try to make a difference in these people's lives? Lord, will you, I mean, Lord, they have not received what I have received. Lord, can you help me give them what I have been given? Because some of us, we might just have this, that we should have this attitude that if other people had what I had, they would probably get saved. They would probably receive it too. But most of us, we act like, you know, we act like it was just this amazing thing that God got this lucky deal when we got saved. Like, no, that's, that's not the way that works. You know, you're the one that got the deal, not God. So the main reason God is merciful is because of our ignorance. But once we receive the knowledge of the truth, these things change. People out there today, they, they have no knowledge of the truth. The ignorance of the things of God is just off the charts. It says in Hebrews 10, 26, For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment, suppose ye shall be thought worthy, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he was sanctified, an unholy thing that done despite under the spirit of grace. So when once you know the truth and then you just reject it, you're on a whole new level now. You're in a, you're on a whole new level of trouble. You knew better and you did it anyway. And our attitude should be, since we don't know what's in the heads of the people out there, we should just have the attitude. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what's going on. And we ought to, we ought to be empathetic towards that. 
We ought to be praying for God's mercy for them. We ought to be praying that they'll get another chance. And we ought to assume that everyone that we come in contact with out there, when we're soul winning or just in our daily lives, are people who have never heard the truth, who don't know the truth, and we ought to be the ones to try to give them that truth. That's the reality of what ought to be going on and because a lot of people just don't know. And we ought to just we ought to just assume that people don't know. And it's like everybody thinks, well, you know, the whole world ought to know these things. You know, I made a YouTube video about it. Well, y'all realize the whole world didn't see your YouTube video. The whole world didn't see your Facebook post, you know, schooling everybody about the sins of different things, you know, and seeing the scripture that you posted. The whole world didn't see that. But because you've done it, you know, you put it out there. And I, I know preachers like this. They write a book on a subject. They make a video about a subject. And they, they think the whole world has seen it. I talked to a guy one time. He was telling me how 700 million people listen to him preach. And he was this weird old guy. like, 700 million people have not listened to you preach. And then it finally hit me. They had just announced back then, this was several years ago, that like Facebook hit 700 million users. And he was putting his sermons on Facebook. And so I think he thought everyone who was on Facebook saw his stuff. And it's like, no, that's not the way that works. You know, but some of us, we're, we're so full of ourselves, we think the whole world is on Facebook just to see our stuff. And we go and we put something out there. There, I've given the world knowledge of this, and now they're all accountable. Now they're all reprobate. No, they're not. And even if they saw your post, you know, who are you to them? You know, you're nobody to them. Why would they even pay attention to what you said? It's amazing how full of ourselves we get. And that's just, that's just a part of this social media generation that we have. But you just understand people many times do not know any better. We should always just assume that that's them, that they, they don't know any better. The reprobate is one who had knowledge and rejected it. And listen, all you need to know about the reprobate doctrine is that there are such a thing as reprobates, and that's why people do some of the horrible things that they do. You don't need to be an expert in pinpointing and identifying every reprobate. Now, Pastor Tommy, can you, can you preach a message that shows us the line where somebody becomes a reprobate? Okay, why, why do we want to know so bad when someone's a reprobate and who is a reprobate? You know why people want that? You know why people go on Facebook all the time, you know, and they, they, they want to share a video clip of some false prophet, and they ask, is he reprobate? You know why they say that? Whenever somebody, there's a falling out with somebody, and they're all asking the question, is he reprobate? The reason people ask that question is because if somebody says yes, then that gives them permission to now just treat them like trash. That's all, that's all there is to it. Why do, you, why do you want to know if they're a reprobate? Do you go to their church? Are they affecting your life? Do they live in your home? No, but I'm looking for somebody to just curse out. And I know reprobates are worthy. Well, you know what? You don't, you don't, need, you don't need to know that. You don't need to know who they all are. You just need to know there is such a thing and that that's something that you don't want to be. And so, you know, don't reject truth. And don't be surprised when people do some of the horrible things that they're doing. There's a lot of reasons people may show certain reprobate type characteristics. But if you have a little empathy, you'll be able to figure out why. So somebody might dress like one. They don't know any better. They, 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 they've not been taught. You know, somebody might be acting a little weird, but they, they're probably from an abusive home, an abusive situation. 
You know, have a little bit of empathy. Have a little bit of sympathy. Put yourself in their shoes. If, if, you, if you lived in a home like that, if you went through the abuse that they went through, you might act a little strange. You might act a little weird. If you were taught the things that they were taught. We ought to love, and as Christians, we should love justice, but we shouldn't treat. We shouldn't be going around just looking for people that we can treat like trash. Look what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 25 and verse 1. It says, if there be a controversy between men and they come unto judgment, that the judges may judge them, then they shall justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. And it shall be, if the wicked man be worthy to be beaten, that the judge shall cause him to lie down and to be beaten before his face according to his fault by a certain number. Now, that's pretty rough. We don't do a whole lot of that today, do we? I think we'd be better off if we did, but at the same time, we don't. But look what he says here in verse 3. He says, 40 stripes he may give him and not exceed lest if he should exceed and beat him above these with many stripes, then thy brother should seem vile unto thee. See, what, what is he saying here? The, the point of laying stripes on somebody we, is because, one, sin should be punished. Two, we're trying to teach them a lesson. Three, we're trying to teach other people a lesson and not do the same thing. But we don't want to just go and just, I mean, overdo it. Like it's just some, like he's somebody that's vile to us. It ought to be something that we're sad about. It ought to be something that disappoints us. But we've got like people out there today. They're just, you know, cheering on the whipping. You know, go ahead and give them 41. No, let's not overdo it. Okay. Because we don't, we don't even want it to look like they seem vile unto us. That's what he's saying there. Let alone them actually be vile unto us but that's like where people just automatically want to go today just always looking for a reason to throw somebody in in hell or whatever but the reason people said always ask that question they are looking for an excuse to curse they are looking for an excuse to mentally flog them 41 times in their mind that's that's why they're doing that that is not right but empathy is what's going to actually cause us to make a difference Bible says in Jude 122 uh, and verse 23, and it says, and of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Some people, they have compassion on others. They see what's going on in this world. They're like, you know what, if I can just rescue somebody out of that, that'd be great. Because listen, I understand that we don't beat people today. We're not doing the death penalty for the people that God said to do the death penalty for. But do you all realize that hell is still awaiting these people? We should be satisfied with that punishment. Okay, if our government's not going to do what they're supposed to do, understand God is going to deal with the sinner. God is going to punish them for all eternity. And so what we ought to do is instead of looking, what can we do to speed up their trip to hell? We should be saying, hey, who can we pull from that? Who can we pull out of that? That's what we ought to be doing. You know, Brother Tom, I need to know, you know, do you have any secrets for whenever you're knocking on the door on knowing if that person is a reprobate so I know not to give them the gospel? No, I don't know. Just give them the gospel anyway. You know, God, the reprobate's going to go to hell no matter what. And since I don't know for sure who they all are, why don't we just give the gospel to everybody and see if we can't pull someone out of the fire because we have compassion. That's, that's the attitude that we ought to be having. That word compassion means having a feeling of deep sympathy 
and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. They might, these people out there, they might not be suffering yet, but it's coming. Let's care about that. Let's worry about that. See if we can pull somebody out of that. But you will never make a difference for the better without loving people. Look what it says in James 5.19. It says, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converted the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. All right. So what does it mean? To hide a multitude of sins. Well, I believe, I think we can get a better idea from 1 Peter 4, 8. It says, and above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. What does that mean? It means if we have fervent charity, if we have compassion, we will be able to look at somebody and the love that we have for them, it will cover the fact that they're full of sin in their life. You know, we'll be able to overlook the fact that maybe the person we're talking to has got a beer in his hand. You know, we'll be able to overlook the fact that maybe somebody, woman that we're talking to isn't dressed the way a Christian lady should be dressed when we're talking to. We'll be able to, you know, we'll be able to see that and say, you know what, I don't care. I love that person. I'm going to give them the gospel anyway. We're not just going to, we're not just going to let them go to hell. And that fervent charity we have, that fervent love that we have for people, it's going to cover that multitude of sins. We're not going to care about it. We're going to overlook it. We're not going to care if we saw a joint on their porch. You know, those, those, things, those things aren't going to bother us. We're not going to care if we hear rock music playing in the house. If we don't care, we're not going to care if they're doing all these other things. We're not going to care if we go and knock on their door and they've got a Catholic thing on there or a Mary statue in the front of their house. All these things that are sins, we're not, we're not even going to care about that. Why? Because we love them and we're going to give them the gospel anyway. And you know, that is about as Christ-like as you can get when you do that, because is that not exactly what Jesus did for us? Is that not what he does every day when he's making intercession? Do you think when God is getting mad at us and Jesus is making intercession for us, does anybody think God is mad or God is, God is wrong for being mad at us? No. Anything God gets mad at us for, you know, he's right. He's the holy one. He's the just one. But yet, Jesus Christ makes intercession for us. So if he can do that for us, I think we can do that for other people. In fact, we've been commanded to do that. that that's, what we've been, that's what we've been told to do. And so it's important that we make an effort when it comes to understanding people. And if we want to know how to have that proper balance when it comes to how we feel about certain sins and how we feel about certain sinners, all we need to do is have a little bit of empathy. That's all it takes. Some people don't have it, but most of us do, and at least we should have it. And it, sh it shouldn't be hard. If Jesus could do it, the sinless Son of God, then we ought to be able to do it. Because I promise, any measurement you can come up for how much better you are than these other people, when it comes to how much better Jesus is for us, it doesn't even compare. You will never reach down farther than Jesus did for you. You will never be able to stoop yourself any lower than what Jesus did himself with himself. You'll never be able to do that. You will never, there is no way we could ever humble ourselves in a way that's in proportion to what Jesus Christ did in humbling himself. Not possible. So in the meantime, let's go ahead and try doing it. I promise God's not going to get mad at you if you accidentally give the gospel to a reprobate. 
I, I, I promise he's not going to get mad at you if you accidentally uh, do something nice for one. Well, I don't know if I ought to pay for the person. You know, they do the thing where they pay for the people behind them and drive through. I'm not going to do that. What if they're a reprobate? <laughs> Shut up. All right. Do, 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 it, do it anyway. You know, that's just called faith. I'm just, I'm just trusting God. I'm just, I'm going to be a blessing and let God, you know, here, here's the thing. All right. If you really hate reprobate so much, right? If you're, if you're so spiritual that you just hate them with everything you have in, in you and you want to just see their destruction come faster than ever. I personally think if you did do some good thing to a reprobate, that's just going to get them in more trouble. The more truth that they get the more judgment that's going to be heaped up on. That's that heaping coals of fire upon their head. So, yeah, you want, to, you want to speed up the doom of a reprobate? Go do something good. All right? You know, go get the truth out even more, and they'll, they'll be in more trouble than ever before. But you, here's the thing. You want to be the one to bring vengeance. You're, that's, that's, what, that's all there is to it. And that's, that's not a good attitude. We don't want to be that way. So I hope this was a help. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for... Uh, Lord, being our intercessor and our, our advocate, and I, Lord, I pray you'll help us to follow your example. I pray help us to be that way with other people. I pray we, we will leave the judgment and uh, the justice to you and all these things, but we will just have a ministry of reconciliation, of being compassionate. Help us to be empathetic. Help us to realize what we have been given. And instead of being down on those who have not been given as much, help us to seek to uh, give what we have been given so we can actually make a difference in people's lives for the better. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand.